0: just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers it's the Rational Boomer Podcast logic common sense compassion yeah who knew now here's Mike we are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast hope all is going well with you there's kind of a depressing sadness all across the globe right now, largely due to what Russia is doing to Ukraine. They're attacking Ukraine. They're invading Ukraine. And for what reason? Yeah, they don't like them. Simple as that. They don't like them. Ukraine's a pretty peaceful country, but they happen to be pushing toward a democratic government. And that troubles, that scares Vladimir Putin. So what's he do? He goes out and he... uh, tells his people back in Russia that these are Nazis, and they're committing genocide against Russian people, making up an excuse to give him a reason to go into Ukraine and take it over. Now, you remember he said, oh, I'm not going to invade Ukraine, but then, of course, he fucking does it. Then he said, we're not going to occupy Ukraine. But now, as we speak, the Russians are currently shelling the capital of Kiev, and in fact, they are actually firing on the capital in Kiev, the capital of the government. They want to bring down the government, no question about it. That's as much as has been said. And there are some concerns that what they want to do is get a hold of the president, President Zelensky, and either imprison him or kill him. I suspect the latter would be the way they go. That's the brutality of this Russian government, Vladimir Putin, and all the others that work around him. And what do they want to kill Zelensky for? What do they want to take Ukraine over for? They've done absolutely nothing. They just don't like the fact that this democratic country that's rich in resources is no longer connected to Russia. Now, it was connected to Russia for a time, back when we had the Soviet Union, the USSR. But, of course, the Soviet Union decided to go into Afghanistan, didn't win. They went in strong, came out incredibly weak, and then, of course, the Soviet Union fell apart, and all these satellites countries that were under the guise of Russia and the Soviet Union separated and went their own way, as did Ukraine. Well, for some reason, this upsets Vladimir Putin. He's got a huge ego. He's paranoid. And he's an animal. He's a criminal. He's a killer. He's a murderer. There's no two ways about it. So he wants to get Ukraine back in the fold, make it part of Russia or the Soviet Union, if that's what his intentions are. And I think it is. He'd like to bring the Soviet Union back together. He's 70 years old, so now he's looking at his legacy. He wants to be the hero. He wants to be the guy with a statue uh, somewhere in Moscow. It's all about ego. It has nothing to do with the fear he's trying to instill in the Russian people. Now, I will tell you this. The Russian people, don't fault them for it. I think they're generally good people, just like us. Some of them aren't doing very well. Russia's got a horrible economy. There are people in poverty, and there are people that aren't eating regularly. So you can't fault them, and there's really nothing they can do to kick Vladimir Putin out of office and get this government out of there and live with something more agreeable and more less violent than what they have right now. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So don't blame the Russian people. Blame Vladimir Putin. Blame the government that runs the country of Russia. That's where our problem is. That's who we're dealing with. So they want to kill Zelensky. They want to overthrow the government, take some puppet, put him in office, and make this Russian-friendly puppet run the country of Ukraine, which for all intents and purposes is overthrowing the Ukraine government and making it connected and working in concert with Russia. We see this happening. We're hearing about atrocities. We're hearing about deaths. But here's the interesting thing. We'd heard that uh, I think 137 Ukrainian service members were killed in the first day of fighting. But I also heard something else. I heard that there were 800 Russian service members that were killed. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it's certainly possible. And that's where Vladimir Putin's going to have a problem. You see, Russian people and the Ukraine people thought of themselves as brother. They're right next door. They're next door neighbors. Families had people living on the Ukraine side and on the Russian side. They saw no reason to attack this country or fight with this country. They knew better than to listen to what Vladimir Putin said by calling them Nazis and committing genocide against Russian people in Ukraine. That wasn't happening. That's just what Vladimir Putin was saying. He was doing this typical bully tactic, accuse them of something, and then go in and bully his way through. That's what they do. But bullies don't always win, and the Ukraine army, the military, is fighting back, and obviously they're taking some um, Russian service members down too. Now, the people of Russia don't understand why this fight is even happening. They're protesting in the streets, and we'll talk more about this. But can you imagine what's going to happen as far as public opinion with Vladimir Putin when 800 body bags in the first day go back to Russia? These people don't want this fight in the first place, and now their young people are dying in a battle that is unnecessary. You have to understand there's an old adage that goes live by the sword, die by the sword. And people like Vladimir Putin die by the sword all the time. They get too caught up in their ego. They're only interested in enriching themselves and the people around them. They don't care. And at some point these people get pissed and they take somebody like Vladimir Putin out. Again, we'll talk about that more later, but, uh, This could be problematic for Vladimir Putin and Russia. Now, let's be honest. Russia is a much more powerful military force than Ukraine. In realistic terms, there's no way that Ukraine can defeat Russia, or so it's thought. But what Ukraine has is a lot of heart. They don't have as many men. They don't have as many weapons. But they're going to fight hard. It was interesting. I heard uh, an interview with one Russia, or Ukrainian official. And the questioner, the interviewer said, look, Russians are 20 miles out from Kiev. They're intent on overthrowing the government. Are you going to get out of there, go west, go toward Poland? What are you going to do? And this gentleman said, we're not doing anything. There is no way they're going to overthrow our government. There is no way they are going to take Kiev and our capital. Well, I mean, if you, I was a betting man, I'd say, man, that's not the way it's going to happen. It's inevitable. But you got to give them credit. you got to give them respect for having the heart and the tenacity to go head-to-head with an insurmountable army and still believe in their hearts that they're going to win, that they're going to hold on to their government and their capital. And I pray that it's true. I do pray that it's true. Somebody needs to stop Vladimir Putin from just taking whatever he wants. And if it's Ukraine, God bless them. I hope they do it. I'm just not sure how they're going to do that. This behavior, this making up of stories and attacking people that aren't doing any harm, seems to be the nature of this Russian government, Vladimir Putin and his government uh, advisors and such. That seems to be their nature. And most of us are appalled by what he's doing. We're horrified by people dying and potential atrocities and the damage to a beautiful country and beautiful cities. We're appalled by that. But at some point, you've got to take a look at yourself. Because are we that much different than Russia? Maybe today we are. But think about what happened when white people came to America and what we did to Native Americans. We did all the same things. We killed these people unmercifully. We stole land We took over because we were the strongest people. How is that different than what Russia's doing? Or how about the way we treated people of color during the period of uh, slavery? Who could possibly do that to another human being but we did? And then we go through the 60s and we have the civil rights and all that sort of thing. People forget You know, when we talk about racism, and I talk to younger people, they think that the hardcore racism goes back to the 1860s and the Civil War and time after that and Jim Crow and that sort of thing. But I can tell you this, I was born in 1960. I was in my single digits during the 60s. And even in the 1960s, there was tons of racism. The fact is, racism was accepted. It was a way of life. You know, separate drinking fountains, separate restaurants, being treated as less than human. We did that. We white people. So are we any better than Russia? Maybe it isn't the nature of Russians. Maybe it is the nature of humans. And therein lies the problem. Right now in our country, we have a lot of divisiveness. We have Republicans against Democrats. And now we have Republicans that have gone just way right fucking crazy. They're now bringing up this racism, the anti-Semitism, the misogyny. They're going at people in violent ways. They're trying to suppress votes. They're talking about a civil war and fighting to get their way. Are we that much different than Russia? I say we're not. And that's sad. Now, I know this might piss some people off because I'm kind of putting this in your face. But you all know that uh, pissing people off is kind of like my favorite hobby. (laughs) So if you're pissed off about it, that's fine. You're entitled. But listen to what I'm saying and compare the two things because there's very little difference. America isn't the most peaceful country. We've done our damage throughout the world. We've treated our own people badly. Maybe this isn't about fighting against Russia. This is, maybe this is changing how we all look at things. Now, I've told you before, I'm not a religious guy, meaning I don't go to organized religion and church I don't do that because I believe in God and I believe praying to God and all those sorts of things. I just choose not to go to churches because I find them little more than human-created clubs, and they use that for their benefit. Now, I know they're not all churches are like that, and I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that's what's good for me. <clears throat> in the Bible, it says the only way to God is through Jesus, I don't have to go to a church to do that. I can do that in my bedroom. I can do that in my living room. And that's what I do. So I don't listen to organized religion that much. I'm not a big fan. But the single best comment I ever heard from a religious leader came from a gentleman by the name of the Dalai Lama. He is the leader of the Buddhist religion. Now, I don't know anything about Buddhism maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know anything about it. I don't believe in organized religion. But he said something that really struck a chord with me. Somebody asked him in an interview, they said, Dalai Lama, please explain your religion, because a lot of people don't know what Buddhism is about. And in normal circumstances, when you're talking to a religious leader, you expect a long And tiring explanation of all the great things they are and all the great things that they do. But the Dalai Lama didn't do that in this particular conversation. He was asked, explain to us what Buddhism is about. And he had a simple answer. That simple answer is, just be kind to one another. I think that says it all, actually. And whether you follow the Ten Commandments or other rules or laws or different kinds of religious books, I think if you just took that one bit of advice, be kind to one another, that would encompass all those other sins. It would do away with all those sins. And maybe that's something we should be striving for instead of fighting, instead of taking over things and stealing things and discounting different races and uh, sexual orientation and religions. Maybe instead of that, we have to teach ourselves how to just be kind to one another. That would be the one way to settle everything down in this country. Now, of course, that means you have to be kind to people that you don't agree with. And that's hard to do sometimes when they're in your face and they're pushing you. And sometimes, like in the case with Ukraine, you got to fight back. There's just no two ways about it. You don't fight back, you're going to get rolled over, and you're going to be killed. So I'm not saying that you don't fight back. And I'm not saying that I'm excusing Russia for doing what they're doing. What they're doing is horrific. They need to be taught a lesson. They need to be shut down. America and all the European countries need to do everything they can to cripple their country. There needs to be retribution for the things they are doing. Because when you're dealing with bullies, sometimes giving back to them what they're doling out is the only way to get them to recognize the problem and be fearful enough to stop fucking doing it. All I'm saying is, is uh, before we get too high and mighty about Russia, we have to remember our history. We have to realize what's going on currently. Now, not all of us are guilty of these things. Most of us are decent people who want to just be kind to one another. Unfortunately, we're put in situations where we can't. And there's the problem. If we could get everybody just to be kind to one another, we'd be in pretty good shape. But that's that's not what's happening now, and that's what's troubling. You have to wonder if this shakeup is just something that has to happen in order for us to get to the other side. I mean, there's been a lot of paradigm changes or shifts in our country. People talk about how bad things are now in 2021 and 2022, and they're right. And the young people will say, it's never been this bad. It's never been this bad. I beg to differ. I think the 60s were more tumultuous, more violent, and more problematic than what we're dealing with even now. you got to remember, in the 60s, we had the Vietnam War. Americans were fighting there. They were fighting with South Vietnam against North Vietnam, who was being supported by Russia. We weren't fighting with Russia directly, but indirectly we were. We that were there for like 12 years or something like that, maybe more, 14 years. We didn't win. We took off. At some point, it got tiring, and people got tired of us being in the middle of a war that seemed endless, and uh, our young people were dying. We lost 50,000 people in Vietnam. Also in the 60s, we had the civil rights situation. Now, the civil rights laws were passed, But there were all kinds of riots, all kinds of problems, all kinds of physical violence against people of color and the people of color against uh, the white folks. It was retaliation for the treatment they were getting. That was going on, and there was a lot of violence on TV. And since I was part of the first or one of the first TV generations, I got to take this all in from TV at six or seven or eight years old. And it was pretty, pretty disturbing for a little kid. I didn't know any better. I grew up in the 60s, so I had no idea that it could be better, could be calmer, could be safer than what I was seeing there. There was um uh, protest against the Vietnam War. There was a lot of protests in colleges we had kent state where kids were shot by the national guard i remember sitting on a couch one day one afternoon watching tv and i was crying i was like 8 years old 9 years old something like that and my mom comes in and says what are you what are you crying about and i pointed to the tv and i said mom i don't ever want to go to college she said what and what i was watching I was watching a riot at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and there was a big protest turned into a riot, and there was a lot of violence, and kids were getting hurt, and cops were all over the place. And all I knew as a young man, a young kid, was that that's college. I want no fucking part of it. Then you throw into the 60s that we had three major assassinations, John F. Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy, actually four, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Four major assassinations. For a kid who's seven or eight years old, he thinks, well, assassinations are just part of the deal. They happen every so often. So as dangerous and as violent and upsetting as the time is now, I think the 60s were probably worse, a lot worse. There was a lot of racism back then. Again, as I said, People just accepted it. I'll be honest with you. If you didn't live in the 60s, you need to know this. The N-word was thrown around all the time, and nobody was shamed for it. It was just part of society. And when I think back about that, that is one of the many appalling things that I experienced when I was a kid. But again, being born in 1960, I didn't know any different. It was violent. It was crazy but I didn't know any different. But you know what? Somehow we got out of that. We got into the 70s. Things changed a little bit. Sure, we had problems, and the Vietnam War went into the 70s, but things settled down considerably. It was more about rock and roll music, smoking pot, drinking beer, and partying. So it did get better in terms of violence. Not to say there weren't problems on the streets. There were. But compared to the 60s, it wasn't nothing. So for the people that see what's going on today and are upset about it and think we'll never get through it, just trust that we will. We'll learn some lessons. Things will change. It may take a little time, but it will happen because we've gone through this before in the 1960s. We came out of that and things got better. Not perfect, but better. And what we're dealing with today in America, with all the violence and the problems all around the world, things do get better. Let's be honest, when it comes to Russia attacking Ukraine, those kinds of things are happening all the time in various parts of the country. There's always atrocities, there's always wars, and there's always killing. And there's only so much we can do about it. We happen to be entrenched in this one, and it's very obvious to us because we've got 24-hour TV and we're seeing this day after day. But don't forget back in the 60s and the 70s, we didn't have all the video footage of Vietnam, but every night at nine o'clock we watched the TV news and there was a tote board with how many Americans died. And all of us young people are watching that and then we're scared are we going to be sent to Vietnam and become one of those numbers? Times can be bad. But no matter what, we will get through it, and things will get better. And ultimately, things may get bad again. Let's hope it's a long distance away. So those of you that are upset about what's going on now, just trust. We will get through it like we did in the 60s. And as far as Russia and Ukraine, we need to handle that situation. We have some options as a country with the sanctions. We are going to make things difficult for Russia and Vladimir Putin. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. So I want you to rest assured, just keep doing the right things. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep speaking out. Keep showing your disagreement with some of the things that are going on in this country. Because if nobody speaks up, the shit just continues. That's what happened in the 60s. We had the protests for the Vietnam War. That was largely the reason why the Vietnam War was ended. Civil rights. One of the reasons we got civil rights was because of the people on the streets, the protesters, the people that spoke out about it. That's how we got the civil rights. Now, that wasn't the best final answer, but it was a step for the 1960s. The people that change things in this country are the people that speak out and take action against things that are wrong. And that's what we have to do. That's what we have to do with Russia. We have to point out it's wrong and speak out. That's what we'd have to do with the Republican Party and all the fucked up things they're doing. If we don't speak out, nothing will change. And we can take the 60s as an example, as a teaching moment. These people that protested against the war, against. uh, Women's rights against the civil rights, against all of these things. Without people speaking out and stepping up, none of that would have changed. So let's learn a lesson from the 1960s. Let's plan to get out of the mess we're in at some point soon. But let's not lie dormant. Let's not be quiet because that's not the way things are going to get better. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back. All right, I got a lot of stuff to talk about. We're going to have to push through it. Now, there's a lot of people that are saying that just because Joe Biden puts all these sanctions on, it's not going to do good. And the thing you have to understand, I said this in a previous podcast, and I'll say it again. Sanctions aren't going to be the thing that stops Putin. It isn't going to stop the invasions. It isn't going to stop the killing The sanctions themselves aren't going to stop anything. The fact of the matter is, it's the people that are impacted by the sanctions. The everyday Russian citizens that will live in a very difficult situation in their country created by those sanctions. They will blame Putin for the positions they're in. They know he started the war. They know he started it for no good reason. And now they're going to be struggling. They're not going to be able to get their money. They're not going to be able to get food. All kinds of problems will come down on them because of these sanctions. And don't forget about the oligarchs. These people are friends of Putin. They hold a lot of power, either officially or unofficially. But they have billions of dollars. And when America and uh, European countries... Start taking that money, freezing that money, making it not accessible to these oligarchs. That's going to piss some people off. That's going to piss a lot of people off. The people of that country, Russia, don't understand the attack on Ukraine. They don't get it. But here's the thing. Because they don't get it and they don't understand it. There are literally thousands of people out on the streets of Moscow protesting, anti-war protesters. Now, you have to understand something about that. That kind of thing doesn't happen in Russia because you don't have as many rights in Russia as we do here in this country. Yes, we can legally protest here. But if you protest in Russia and the government doesn't like it, well, they shut that shit down, and they can be violent, and nobody's going to hold them responsible. In fact, uh, in the first day with the protest, 1,700 Russians were arrested, taken into jail. Now, they put these people through some things. They're going to get them to change their mind, or if they don't, they could be put in a position where they're in jail for a time and they have this on their permanent record and then their life is destroyed. That's the Russian way. There's a lot of revenge and uh, not much uh, forgiveness in that country. So these people that are out there protesting are putting a lot on the line. And that is, and it gives you an idea of just how important and how appalled these people are. But when these, when these uh, protests started, that had to give Vladimir Putin a little bit of a chill, you know? And the fact that his buddies, the oligarchs, are losing billions of dollars, that has to make him nervous, too, because I bet he's hearing from them. And I think the most important thing that Vladimir Putin is worried about is a negative uprising in Russia against him. You see for as much power as he has and for as long as he's been in power people like him are never that far away from uh being exiled the fuck out or just killed. That's the way of these governments. And once you become a liability, then it doesn't matter who you are. And Vladimir Putin is seeing what's going on here, all these sanctions and The Russian people are going to suffer. They aren't even feeling that yet. They're just mad about the war in itself. And they're already up in arms in an uprising. We don't know what the oligarchs are doing, but I got to tell you, if you were the reason why I lost $5 billion, I'm going to be pissed. And I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to make you find a way to get my fucking money back. These people aren't necessarily pleasant, and they aren't going to say, well, I'll do it for the good of the country. No, this is about fucking money, and if you steal their money, they can be dangerous folks. So this is what Vladimir Putin has to deal with. We've got people upset about the war. We've got people that are going to be devastated by the sanctions that are being brought down on that country because of Vladimir Putin. We've got people that are losing billions of dollars because of Vladimir Putin. We've got 800 Russian service members being killed on the first day in Ukraine. And those body bags are going to go back to Russia. There's going to be a lot of uh, unhappy people. There's basically two thirds of this world that don't like Vladimir Putin, and now he can't even go home and be liked because they fucking hate him there too. And when things like this happen, well, oftentimes these uh, these leaders get exiled or disappear. And don't think that that can't happen to Vladimir Putin. If the country is struggling, people are starving. People are losing billions of dollars. That's going to rain down on Vladimir Putin. What he's doing now in Ukraine is all about ego. He doesn't care about anybody else. I understand he stockpiled some money, so he'll be fine. So what do you think those folks are going to think when they're all struggling, suffering, losing money? But Vlad's just fine. He's got $600 billion in the bank. They're going to hate him even worse. They're going to hate him even worse. So Vladimir Putin, by doing what he's doing and the way he's doing it and disregarding the sanctions and all of that, he may be signing his pink slip at best, or he could be signing his death warrant. That's how they do things in these countries. And there have been many powerful leaders that fucked up, and they ended up on the wrong, set of, wrong end of a noose. I'll remind you of Mussolini, who was more powerful than Mussolini. But when it was all said and done, he was hanging from a lamppost by a piano wire. He'd been beaten and stabbed and killed. And as powerful as he was, now he's nothing because they didn't like him anymore. And Vladimir Putin is putting himself in a situation where he could be end up the same way. Vladimir Putin is like any other narcissist. They keep doing it and doing it and doing it until things start going badly. Then they get into a spin, and they ultimately crash. That is the one thing about narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths. They all fuck up in the end. They may have a good run, but ultimately it comes to an end, and it comes to a bad end for these people normally. It's going to be that way with Donald Trump, and it's going to be that way with Vladimir Putin. Trust me on this. He's got problems. He's going to go and ravage Ukraine, but uh, he's not saving himself from anything. He's just putting his people in his country through hell, which is what it'll be. He's disappointing and upsetting the rich, powerful people around him. How long can that last? How long can Vladimir Putin last? Well, that will be interesting to see. Now, one of the things that I find particularly hilarious is how Republicans and the right-wing media are trying to blame Joe Biden for the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which absolutely makes no sense given that Trump admits he and Putin are BFFs. Or that Trump invited Russian spies into the Oval Office, and he accidentally gave them some top-secret information. Or how about those private meetings between Trump and Putin? You remember those? He'd go into a meeting with Putin. Nobody could join him. There were no notes taken. Nobody knows what they talked about. Who knows what they talked about? Maybe they talked about Ukraine. (laughs) Maybe Donald Trump provided some sexual favors, because that sounds about Donald Trump's speed. Donald Trump is Putin's bitch. And in this world, we can't have a president that's Vladimir Putin's bitch. We've got to have somebody who is a peer, or even stronger than Vladimir Putin. Now, Joe Biden isn't the toughest president, but he's not taking any shit from Vladimir Putin. And that is exactly what we need. So thank God Donald Trump isn't in office to do this. (laughs) Now, he said on TV, on Fox News, he says, well, if I was in office, if I hadn't got screwed out of the election, Vladimir Putin wouldn't do this. Oh, fuck you. Vladimir Putin knows you're a fucking clown. But he knows how to play you, flatter you a little bit, make you sound like a big, important guy. And then once he's got you bought in, then he plays you like a violin. That's exactly what happened to Donald Trump during his four years. Now, people will say that Donald Trump is a Russian asset, and that may be true, but not in the sense that I think a lot of people want to believe. It's not like he's sitting with Vladimir Putin and conspiring how to fuck up the country. I think it's more in line with the fact that Donald Trump is a useful idiot. Vladimir Putin can see what kind of dipshit he is and how he could use him, and that's exactly what he did. Let me tell you something. If, uh, if uh, Vladimir Putin wants to take over and overrun Ukraine, it doesn't matter who's in fucking office. It doesn't matter who. In fact, if Donald Trump had been in office when this was happening, It probably would have been easier. It would have been swept under the carpet because his buddy was doing it. I mean, as it is, we know that Donald Trump thinks Vladimir Putin is a genius. He thinks that uh, what he's doing in this invasion is wonderful, great idea. That's going to be interesting because that won't wear well. That won't age well. And we have the Republicans, of course, backing Vladimir Putin and such. In the end, when there is blood in the streets and horrific atrocities, these people are going to have to wear that badge, and they're not going to like it a bit. They aren't going to like it a bit. And that's one of the things that um, I was thinking about. It's one of the things I've been thinking about here. Um, We know the Democrats aren't especially good at messaging messaging. But Republicans, and Donald Trump particularly, is good at hanging nicknames or phrases on the Democratic Party and just repeating it over and over and over again. And it makes the Democrats look silly. Sometimes it makes the uh, Republicans look silly, a la Let's Go Brandon. But they message this, and it's out there, and people hear it, and some people buy into it. So I'm thinking the Democrats have to do something simple have to do something similar. And I think the right thing to do here now is because Republicans have always had this fear of uh, Russians and uh, Russian leaders, even though they seem to be supporting them now. But as things go badly in Ukraine, they're going to want to wipe that off their shirts, and they won't be able to do it. So if Democrats need to do some messaging, I suggest this. We've got to come up with a proper line for this. Now, the basis for the line, in my mind, is um, a vote for Republicans is a vote for Putin. Now, that's a decent line, but it's not a quick catch line. But you see what I mean. Attach the Republicans to Russians. Suggest that if you vote Republican, then you're voting for Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. They will fucking hate that. And it won't play well with those people that are above the base. You know, those people that vote Republican anyway, even though they don't necessarily like Donald Trump, you're not going to change the minds of the base. But if you keep saying over and over again and tying Republicans to Vladimir Putin and Russia, that's not going to wear well for them. They are not going to like it. So what I want to do is attach that to them. Every time somebody sees it or talks about them, there's that comparison to the Republicans and Russia. As I said, the line I came up with is a vote for Republicans is a vote for Putin, but that's too long. I want to say that, but I want it shorter, more concise, more catchy. So I'm going to ask you, you listeners of the podcast, come up with some ideas, send them in to me. And then what we'll do is we'll read them and we'll come up with the right one. And then we'll hashtag that motherfucker and put it everywhere. We got enough people on the Rational Boomer podcast and TikTok to start some shit. And once people see it, it will catch on. And let's turn that fucking thing viral. Every time you think Republican, you think Russian. You think Vladimir Putin. That is going to be the way to keep that stink on these fucking people for the horrible things that they're doing and saying. So think about that. You understand the premise. If you vote for a Republican, you're essentially voting for Vladimir Putin. We need to stick that to him, but we need a better phrase than that. That's the best I could come up with. It's too long. We want something shorter, and I want your help on it. You've got my email, rationalboomer at gmail.com. Just send it there. And then I'll read them on the show, all the different possibilities, and we'll try to figure out which one is the best one. And then we'll go running with that motherfucker. We'll try to attach it to the Republicans and make them wear it with pride at first and then be sorry that they were attached to it. Because come midterms, when you think you're going to vote for a Republican and you're helping Vladimir Putin, you're going to need to think twice before you press that fucking button. All right. I wanted to talk about one last thing. And I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, but I think it's important that I do it this way. You remember the story we were talking about, um, the Manhattan District, and how two high-powered prosecutors, Mark Pomerantz and a gentleman named Dunn, or Dune, I'm not sure which it is. But Cyrus Vance hired them in the Trump investigations, And then, of course, Cyrus Vance retired on December 31st of 2021. We've got uh, the DA Bragg who took over, Alvin Bragg. And we assumed things were going to go along as normal. In fact, Alvin Bragg, when he was running for that office, said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be all on top of this Trump investigations. But now we've got these two prosecutors that have resigned from the case, and that seems troubling to us. Now, the reports were suggesting that they did that because Elvin Bragg, the new DA, is not interested in indicting Donald Trump or even interested in furthering this investigation. Well, that scared us all. Donald Trump's going to get away with it again. Donald Trump's going to get away with it again. So we think, oh, shit, another one in the dirt. That whole fucking thing is over with. Now, the problem is when you hear this in the media, you don't always get the truth. You don't always get all the facts. And I guess we should all sit back and wait to decide how we feel about something until we get all the facts. Now, I happen to read this. I don't know if it's a newsletter or a website or what have you, but it's called the Palmer Report. It's a good good source. I don't know the gentleman who's uh, writing it. Presumably, his name is Palmer. But he had a premise, and he has some contacts and got some information. And I wanted to read this story. I want to give him credit. It's the Palmer Report. You can go to their website, www.palmerreport.com. That's www.palmerreport.com. Or at Palmer Report on Twitter. I see him a lot on Twitter. But he wrote up a premise of what actually happened when these two prosecutors resigned. And it made me rethink it. So I'm going to read this to you and see what you think. Yesterday, the news broke that two prosecutors leading the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal case against Donald Trump had resigned. The two major newspapers that broke the story went on to spin it in an almost Uh, apocalyptic negative fashion, suggesting that the case was dead and that Trump would now somehow magically just get away with it all. At the time, we pointed out that the sources for the story didn't seem to have any idea why the prosecutors had resigned and were instead either guessing or making things up, or the media was guessing and making things up. So let's just say what we heard may or may not be true. Now, Palmer goes on to say, now more of the story is coming out, and it appears the whole thing is a lot less dire and a lot more understandable than the initial reporting suggested. According to the Washington Post, new Manhattan district attorney Elvin Bragg has now put Susan Hoffinger in charge of the Trump case. Bragg recently hired her to be part of his team, and she left her own family's law firm in order to take the gig. Her specialty is white-collar crimes. In other words, this sounds like it's a matter of a new Manhattan D.A. wanting his own hand-picked person in charge of the Trump uh, Trump criminal case instead of the people who were hand-picked by the old Manhattan D.A. Maybe this means the case is going in a different direction, or maybe it was just a personality conflict, or perhaps the new DA just wanted to put his own stamp on it. But whatever the reason, this appears to have been about office politics and not about the viability of the Trump case. There is still every reason to expect the case will continue to move forward, and that Trump is on a path to go to prison. Well, here's the thing. That sounds feasible. That sounds very feasible. You get a new DA in there, doesn't want the old DA stuff hanging around, so he appoints somebody else. That's possible. The idea that a DA would ignore an investigation that's already indicted the Trump Organization, the CFO, and already flipped the CEO of Trump Organization, just saying, yeah, there's nothing here. It's a little hard to do when you've already done those things. So when I read this Palmer report, I was really at the point, I was really at the point where I'm thinking, oh, it's all fucking scammed, somebody paid him off, or the guy's a coward, or whatever, I said as much. And I was just kind of throw it to the side, because I've always said, we really only need one indictment. If one goes away, that's fine. We only need one indictment for all the cards to fall. Because once we get one indictment, that's the hard one to get. Once we get that one, then everybody will be fighting to be the second one. And that will pretty much destroy Donald Trump, one indictment. So I was willing to give up this criminal investigation in the Manhattan District after hearing that these two prosecutors resigned and somebody either made up a story, the media or one of the people that was the source of the story making Suppositions as to why this happened, not that anybody knew for a fact that that's what happened. So they put it out there because that's what the media does, puts it out there to excite, scare, make people happy, laugh, cry, whatever. That's their goal. They put it out there as if it's real and if it's been uh, checked out. But we know the media doesn't do that. They do whatever they can to get you hyped up and scared. So I read this this uh article by the Palmer report and it really has to make me think because what they said in that Palmer report all makes a certain amount of sense. Certainly makes more sense than a new DA saying, "Yeah, we're not going to prosecute Donald Trump." It makes more sense as to what it was explained there. Maybe it is office politics. Maybe it is going a different direction. Maybe it is a new DA wanting his own stamp on this investigation since he's going to have to carry it through. He's going to have to go through the prosecutions on the uh, Trump Organization, the CFO. And maybe he wants his own stamp on it. That's distinctly possible. But I wanted to read that to you because I know a lot of people were upset about it. I was upset about it. And I don't know if that story is true. We don't have any verification that it's true, but it is certainly something to think about. It is certainly a viable option as to what's going on there. So instead of throwing in the tall, getting all upset, and curling up in a corner and crying, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope against hope that that next story, that second story, is what is true and what is going to happen. Because that story makes more sense than the other one we were told. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you very much for spending time and uh, taking the time to listen. That's a lot to ask from you, and you do it every time, and I appreciate it immensely. As I've said, if you have questions or an idea for our tagline or our hashtag, email me at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm, find the Rational Boomer podcast, and leave me a voicemail. I hope you have a great day. I hope things look brighter today than they were yesterday. And I will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.